Today I'm joined by Sam Bors and we're going to be discussing Paris, Texas from 1984. It is directed by Vim Vendors from a script by Sam Shepard. It is the story of Travis, a man that destroyed his family and some years later tries to repair some of the damage. Now Sam, this was your choice for yeah. the podcast and yes. I would say that your tastes generally are more to, towards films like Surf, Nazis Must Die, Howard the Duck and uh, showgirls yes so i'm just wondering what on earth made you choose uh, this two and a half hour german american road movie well the simple answer is that i went through roger deakins top 20 films of all time knowing that oh, yeah, okay knowing that there'd be some classy choices in there my flatmate told me, he said, oh, have you seen Roger Deakins' top 20 film list? And I said, no. And he goes, oh, we should start working our way through him. So I had, a, I had a look at it. Paris, Texas was actually a film that I remember seeing uh, the VHS for in sale in Woolworths in 1987. Oh, yeah, okay. um, I went in there to buy a copy of uh, The Lost Boys, <laughs> which is <laughs> more on brand with me. Um, but, you know, I went through that a bargain bin. And I remember seeing this film called Paris, Texas, and I vividly remember um, the pink sweater. Sure. And I just thought that's, she's, you know, I had a, you know, I had a, when I was younger, I was like, I had a thing for blondes. <laughs> Probably. You had, you had a thing for Angora sweaters. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't watch it because I watched it for the first time a couple of weeks ago, but uh, I, I remember it was on my radar since oh, then. Oh, yeah, okay. So I saw that, and then I saw the list, and... Um, I watched the trailer and I thought that is one of those films that I'm surprised I haven't seen by now. Um, let's let's ping it over to Shane and see if he hadn't seen it, which you said you hadn't, right? Uh, well, I kind of thought I had, and I think because the the pink sweater image is so iconic, and a few of those um, uh, screen grabs from Harry Dean Stanton in the desert at the beginning, yeah. I felt like I'd seen it. You know, I, I felt like I knew the film so well. And in fact, about three minutes in, I was like, I have never seen this before in my whole life. So it was actually, uh, you know, I kind of had the structure, I guess, spoiled by years of studying cinema. So I kind of knew what was going to happen all the way through. But yeah, it was much more of a delight and much lighter than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be some arduous, uh, you know, Harry Dean Stanton catatonic in the desert for hours and hours and then stumbling into this peep show. But actually, there's so much more going on, so much stuff about family. And, you know, it's quite light and funny in places. It's gentler than I, much more gentle than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, sure, sure. I think it's the Europeanness. I, I didn't expect. I didn't, I didn't know it was a European film. I mean, technically it is. Uh, didn't it win a it won a Golden Globe for best foreign film? Even yeah, though, that's right. Even though technically, if you showed it to somebody, they wouldn't say, "Oh, that's a foreign film." Researching a little bit about it, I realized how beloved this film is. Um, there's a BFI did a showing of it with a um, introduction by Sam Mendes. Apparently, it's his favorite film. Oh right, okay. Yeah, I'm not sure if you saw that. Uh, said it was a big inspiration on. Um, American Beauty. <laughs> um, and apparently it's Kurt Cobain's favourite film ever as well, which oh, right, is okay. uh, quite bizarre. There's a funny documentary with uh, Wim Wenders being interviewed on the um, Criterion. And one of his proudest moments is that the band Travis are named after <laughs> Harry Dean Stanton's character. And that the band Texas also took their name. Yeah. He was very proud of his influence on rock and roll at, at that point in the early 90s. Apparently you too, as well, they, they were inspired to make the Joshua Tree after seeing um, Paris, oh, right, Texas okay. as well. So we've they're got... involved in, um, is it Wings of Desire and Far Away So Close as well? I have Two films I haven't seen. I didn't know anything had anything to do with you too. In fact, I think Wim Wenders made a film with you two, The Million Dollar Hotel with Mel Gibson. Oh, really? And um, Mila Jovovich, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit sort of uh, new to the world of Wim Wenders or <laughs> yeah. Wim Wenders. We did um, Alice in the Cities earlier on in the season and that I would highly recommend it. So oh, yeah? It's a beautiful, brilliant little film, yeah. Cool. And I'm sort of a bit more open-minded now to seeing a few more of his movies. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think I am as well. Because this was, I mean, I'm so glad I've seen it. 
you know, and I think, uh, I think it is, it's like, it's modern looking, you know, like I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was watching an old film, especially like, sure. um, you know, it was a feast for the eyes, you know, for my kind of aesthetic that I like, which is, you know, the blue sky, the orange landscape, the, yeah, yeah. the neon lights. They, it, it ticked all the boxes for me, you know. Yeah, they say it was kind of like a revival for Americana, you know, this idea that you get Europeans just looking at America with fresh eyes. And Yeah, and so much space, so much space that is captured as well, you know, like living in London as we do, you know, just those shots. I'm, I'm not sure if it's got more crowded in Texas, but... uh you know, you just sort of like even even the petrol station is just like there's so much space between the 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 petrol points and the front yeah, door sure. of the thing. You know, it, just the, the wide open spaceness is really it's like a character in itself, isn't it? I've been a big fan of Raikuda since I was a kid, thanks to the, uh, the 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 classic film Crossroads, in which he did the soundtrack. And you know, oh, yeah, okay. he pretty much like he is a character in that. His guitar playing is a character in that film. So, and my dad loved Raikuda, had a load of Raikuda records. So as uh, Spotify and streaming services came out, I was able to sort of like just listen to his whole back catalogue, you know, put it on, put it on at work and just let it all play through. And um, I remember like a standout sort of, um, some, yeah, one of the albums, what some, some of the music coming through the speaker was like this really sort of haunting, ethereal, slide guitar playing, you know, with sort of uh, washy tubular bells in the background. And I was like, oh shit, what's this? And uh, yeah, sure enough, it was Paris, Texas, and I was like, "Oh, that's that film. Oh, yeah, okay. That's that film from Woolworths back in the day." Again, it's back. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's uh, stalking me. Raikuda's music in this is loosely inspired by a track by Blind Willie Johnson called "Dark Is the Night." Oh, cool. Well, he he riffs on. You know, he's so in, ingrained in being a big champion of like americana folk music yeah, sure. that he he often like pulls these old dusty riffs from back in the day and he'll like modernize them but then he'll still give credit to them you know yeah, and, yeah, yeah, as he it. as he did with the very um, respectful <clears throat> yeah exactly so that's interesting that it comes from that i'll have to look that up my first uh raikuda was southern comfort yeah which is great a movie i've talked about before but I'd, I'd love it you know it's just one yeah. of those classic you know 1980s movies and just the, the music in that you really yeah. feel like you're knee deep in the bayou being yeah. hunted by uh what do they call those uh appalachian hillbillies or mutants or whatever they are. <laughs> <laughs> whatever they, there they are yeah yeah but his his score is it's not his scores that he did he does they're not like a score that's menace you know sort of um sit under the picture and sort of inform the action you know like they're They've got their own personality and uh, and place in the you know they're meant to stand out you know and they're meant to oh yeah they're yeah. meant to give it's not just like background sounds you know like they definitely have themes and you, you I'm sure you could uh, probably hum I'm not going to make you do it but I'm sure you could probably hum the uh, <laughs> the Southern Comfort theme you know <laughs> goes something like that. Yeah. I said you didn't have to, but it's. Uh, I to. I'm, I to. I'm glad you did. Well, there you go. So you, you remember that, and um, I think you know. I think his his input and him being used uh, scoring the film um, definitely elevates it. Like it adds to the adds to the pop. You know. Some, yeah, yeah. Like definitely but made it more magical in a way. I heard a quote from uh, Ennio Morricone who passed away last week, and he was saying that one thing he always tried to do with the music is to do something that the picture and the performance and the edit couldn't do. So he wanted to add something that was completely different right. to what the rest of the work was doing. That's great. I feel like you definitely get that with Raikuda. Yeah. The year that Paris, Texas won the Palme d'Or at Cannes, Ennio Morricone was on the jury. Oh, really? <laughs> so, yeah, we just automatically then assume that Morricone was a Raikuda fan. I saw a little clip of them uh, recording it, the score, the Did soundtrack. You? And yeah, and it's basically um, Wim Wenders was projecting it on a giant screen, and Raikuda just stood in front of it with his guitar Wicked. and just like improvising 
till the end of a scene and then like okay rewind do it again and then he just keeps going till he feels like he's nailed it then moves really? on to the next scene apparently he he just did that he kind of just jammed away for like 48 hours really? and then had it had the whole thing nailed yeah. that's quality that, that's how you do it let's get in and get out We get like uh, the American desert and then we go straight into, in one shot, we just see Harry Dean Stanton as Travis stood there in the middle of this huge blistering hot space, carrying like a gallon of water that he's almost finished. And that's our introduction to him. I was, like I mentioned before, fearful that this was going to be the entire film, just him. I think it it would have had like some sort of sublime... uh, you know, hypnotic quality, but I'm glad it sort of kicks up a gear. You know, he's pretty pretty soon out of the desert into a tiny little desert bar looking for ice, passes out, and then he's in hospital. I love that bar. You know, apparently yeah. uh, all the locations they found, they didn't alter anything. There's no art direction. Really? They, just, they just walked in and shot it as it was. Yeah, that was funny. I, I remember when he first opens the fridge and then he shuts it again. And I was like, why, why, don't, why not have a beer? But I guess... Well, I mean, now, in retrospect, we know why he didn't want alcohol. You know, he just uh, yeah, yeah. he just went to the ice, and it, well, that's one of my uh, pet hates is uh, crunching ice. I can't even listen to the sound of it, and he crunches some ice, and all the hairs stood up on the back of my neck. Um, <laughs> but uh, but then he then he passes out, yeah. And um, I mean, I've got to say, Harry Dean Stanton, he didn't have many leading roles. This was his first, you know, quite late in his career. Was it? But yeah, he's quite magnetic on screen, though. Oh, yeah. He's definitely got like a, a presence. Mm. Maybe in his younger days, he just didn't have the mileage on his face for him to be sort of uh, enigmatic, you know, like his face is so weather beaten and like it just like it, te- you it's know, an old you- bit of leather, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can see a life lived. Um, and then doesn't he wake up in the, uh, the doctor's? Yeah, we get the German doctor whose name uh, I've forgotten. But in the commentary, Wim Wenders says he's quite a famous German director. Oh, really? And and who just loves acting. You know, okay. any time somebody chucks him a bone, he's there, sort of chewing up the scenery. Yeah, 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 yeah. He he was quite hammy. Um, but that's the first time I noticed. I was like, whoa, that's a lot of green. What's yeah, what's sure, sure. Like, surely that is not the way you'd want your. Uh, doctor's office lit you know if you're trying to make people feel better like this sickly green <laughs> you know i was just like i was kind of like oh god that's, that's so much green i would not want to wake up from having blacked out in this like luminous green room and i think that's when i first went oh there's going to be like some experimentation with color in this film they didn't have any references for the film so I think traditionally filmmakers put together a kind of Bible and a lookbook and all the sort of designs for every kind of element of it and look at lots and lots of film references to try and, you know, fold into a a kind of vernacular for that type of movie. Um, And then the other thing he said was they didn't have any shot lists, any storyboards. They said it was deeply frustrating for the rest of the crew, but every day he just watched the actors rehearse and then felt where the camera should be and how it should go. And he worked with Robbie Muller to sort of execute the whole film that way. Yeah, shouts out to Robbie. Is it Muller? Mystery Train, I remember, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I'm pretty sure that's got a similar sort of like lighting palette, you know, sort of darks with a lot of neons and so on. And and Dead Man, even though it's black and white, um, there's some great imagery in that. Now I want to ask you one last question. You see this here card? Is this you? Or a relative of yours? Well, I'm gonna call up his number and see if they can tell me who you are. From the uh, doctor's office where he's just he's just mute, isn't he? Yeah, so the doctor goes and the doctor's trying to work out if he's crossed the border from Mexico, so I'm guessing around this kind of part of is it Texas? That there's just an open border somewhere. But then he finds um, some ID in his pocket with uh, with his brother's his number. Brother's business, business card. card. Yeah. yeah, and then we go straight to um, Travis's brother Walt, who's in Los Angeles, painting billboards. 
It's a really nice sh- shot opening up on him where he stood with a tall glass and steel office building behind him. Yeah. And then it's just a painted prop and there's a big picture of uh, Bab Streisand being painted in front of him. <laughs> right. There's a, yeah, a couple of nice little moments there. Yeah. So Walt has a quick conversation with his wife saying that he basically has to track his brother down, you know, follow this uh, doctor's clue and find his brother. Mm. And I don't think at this point we know that his brother and his brother's wife are raising his son, do we? No. I think that comes a little bit later on. But yeah, then straight again, not wasting any time, <laughs> straight mm. away, Walt is on a plane and then there's a beautiful little uh, cutaway of him checking the map in a petrol station with this blazing red desert sunset behind him as he's lit by the green neon like like you mentioned yeah just so many of those beautiful little kind of traveling interludes aren't there when you have kind of traveled around a bit and you just stop those are the moments yeah that you remember sometimes aren't they not the destinations themselves just those little yeah moments where you just go wow yeah and the film definitely feels like that like those yeah guys making that film are just like wow look at this look yeah, at this yeah, you see all those obscure kind of sculpt american sculptures in the background giant dinosaurs and oh the dinosaurs you know, of course yeah no, yeah all, all of that yeah. i think they're definitely enjoying their kind of road trip filmmaking experience yeah i mean what came first the the script or vin vendez going to texas and being like yeah, I could, I could shoot a film here. Like, yeah, well, he did a long kind of road trip recce and took like tons of Polaroids. Oh yeah, there but, was an exhibition of his of all the photos that he took. I think. Yeah, um, that's it. Yeah, but some of them are beautiful. You know, again, they're on the Criterion. Um, but the script itself was something um, he and Sam Shepard had known each other from like the festival circuit or whatever, and talked about putting a project together. And they didn't have anything apart from a kind of um, shared tonal (laughs) meeting point. So this idea of, you know, a drifter coming out of the desert in America and trying to find his way to something, that was all they had. So they just kind of kept working on that concept till it became Mm. the first half of the film. Yeah. And then their plan was to shoot the first half of the film, see the actors in character and then write the second half of the film and improvise it as they went along. Um, But they didn't get funding straight away. And then by the time they did get funded, Sam Shepard was working on another film. So they started shooting anyway, just with one half of a script. And then they had to shut down for two weeks while Vin Vendors wrote a kind of bridging second half. And then he was waiting for Sam Shepard to come back. But Sam Shepard said, basically, look, I'm going to be stuck up here. He was writing and starring in a film and said, when you get to the point where he catches up with his his wife, call me and I'll have something <laughs> for you. So, right. so it's all, Vin is saying it's all pre-fax machine. So I, I literally had to phone him and then he dictated the entire peep show sequence over the phone. Wow. And Vin Vendors had to write it down and then um, gave it to the cast. They spent 48 hours rehearsing it and then yeah that's how they shot the, the, the final act yeah so that's mental it's, yeah it's very kind of free flowing yeah you know, free just, it's like a jam isn't it like they just yeah like, i just don't think you'd be able to get away with that now but nah. I mean, it, he was quite apologetic for the the back half of the second act he was like oh this is the bit i wrote yeah all right okay <laughs> yeah. well i did um i did see just a snippet of an interview uh where i think it was like closer to the, I think it was still in the late 80s where he just you know he said like I love starting films I could tell you the idea for the start of six films now oh, yeah, I okay. could maybe tell you the middle of them but don't come to me for an ending I do yeah I feel like this film is quite triptych and uh, they they feel quite different each three parts um, uh, unfortunately for me the third part is my least favourite <laughs> i can't i can't i can't say that um i love the way it ended uh you know i'm old enough now like and and i got quite entangled in the sentimentality of it that i I could have been i could have been happy with a happy ending to be honest with you when they when the brothers first meet i was a little bit sort of taken aback by the fact that um dean stockwell's character walt wasn't more gushing to have seen his brother that he assumed was dead for the last four sure. years 
Um, and it's almost you like... Just, uh, we thought you were dead, Travis. Yeah, that's kind of it. very matter of fact, yeah, isn't he? get in the car. <laughs> that's kind yeah. of it. And um, because of that, I thought, what's the deal with this Travis guy? Has he done this before? And then I started thinking, oh, he's he's on the spectrum, this guy. Like, he's he's just always been like this. And I thought that's what the story was going to be about, that he, like... Sure. Possibly a was rain on, man. Yeah, a bit of a rain man scenario. And that... Um, I thought that's where it was going to be going, and uh, maybe maybe he's got magical powers or something like that. And it's, it's all going to go weird. <laughs> yeah, I think it takes a long time for him to kind of reconnect all the dots in his mind because he's, you know, he's struggling to remember Walt's wife and their mother's maiden name and lots of kind of other basic details. And Walt's even saying to him, like, "Do you remember you have a son?" You know, so it takes a long time for him to come back to full normal doesn't it yeah. i guess after he's i don't know what he's been doing for the last four <laughs> years if he's just been marching around following telephone lines and eating trash then maybe i don't know how long he can last without water i haven't been stranded in a desert before but i don't think it's too long um but anyway that that's besides the point that that i did yeah i thought he was on the spectrum at first um and then when he slowly starts coming out of his show i think one of the bits of the dialogue Somebody says, how long, he says, how long have I been gone? And he's like, four years. And he's like, four years. Is that a long time? You know, and I was like, has this, would you, would you say that this guy's had like a psychotic breakdown? Well, I think, yeah, one of the nice things about the structure of the film is that you do get all this kind of puzzling mystery about his life and the film gives you all of the answers. So by the end, you, you fully understand that he's kind yeah. of, He's been a, like a massive bastard and <laughs> had a huge realisation of that. Yeah. And it, something in his mind has just snapped. snapped. Yeah, yeah, totally. Mm. Yeah, and he's been traumatised in in the desert. There's some sort of like trauma realisation, isn't there? Or realisation trauma that, you know, he's the kind of one that's responsible for destroying his family. And that's why he makes the sacrifice at the end for the mother and child to be together. Yeah, and it only took him four years to realise it as well, which I think is quite... Uh... Well, I think he wouldn't... <laughs> I don't think he would have even got it then if if it hadn't been for the doctor's intervention, his brother turning up and meeting his child again. I don't think he would have joined the dots. He would have just kept following the power lines across Texas. There's, there is no, like, corny flashbacks of, you know, throwing drunkenly shot glasses no, he has to confess that though i think that's why it works yeah the sort of end sequence he has to confess it he have to say he has to say the words the only thing we see and it's not a flashback we do see the super eight footage of the family all yeah. together yeah. and happy and it you know it's a really beautiful sequence that's a lovely scene that's a lovely scene um i was really tight so yeah he get so without jumping forward too much he um he starts starts coming back out of his shell coming out of his shell a little bit on the on the drive home um he tries escaping again well they go to uh so they go to a motel first and then walt goes to buy him some clothes um and travis absconds and walt tracks him down again and this time gets him dressed he has a haircut and a shave and then they're at the airport about to fly back to la because walt uh travis refuses to get on the plane so they have to drive um from New Mexico, is it, to uh, Los Angeles? It takes three or four days, so there's lots of time for them to kind of bond. And there's the thing um, with the car, isn't there? He'll only, he wants to only to, yeah, be in the, the same, same car, car. Which fits with a sort of a slightly more autistic reading of yeah, Travis. that's when I thought it was all getting a bit Rain Man-y. I was just like, <laughs> yeah, dude, sure. just get in the car, they're all the same. It's but. more childlike, isn't it? It's, it's like he's sort of born again. I definitely felt sympathy for him, like I was empathetic to his character i wasn't like oh this guy's getting on my nerves now i was just like man this guy's this is a broken man but he's slowly coming out of his shell and they do it in a nice uh relaxed pace you know there's no you know he doesn't have like a big breakdown and just like i remember exactly it's done in quite a sort of uh and when he does start finding his voice you're like Oh, it's not that he was mute. It's just maybe he hasn't just he hasn't talked in so yeah, long, you know. And it, yeah. it suddenly felt a bit more realistic, you know. And and you start warming to him a little bit, and it's just like maybe that is how you'd be if it's not like you'd like have to learn English again, but you just like oh, I forgot how to kind of talk to people, and I've only been thinking my thoughts this whole time. So anything I say is going to be 
um, is going to be like selfish thoughts that I've had, you know, about my mum and my dad and about this and about that, you know. So that kind of whole road trip ends with, there's a really nice sequence using a split focus um, lens, you know, where you have uh, the foreground and the background are both sharp and there's a little kind of dividing line across the center. They do a little driving sequence with that. There's four or five shots in a row that all use the same device. And then uh, we pull up at Walt's house and we meet his wife, Anne, and also Hunter, which is Travis's little boy. And, uh, his brother Walt and wife have been raising him since Travis disappeared. When I first saw their house, I think it is up on Mulholland Drive or somewhere. It's up in the hills. Oh yeah, it's San Fernando. That's San Fernando Valley, exactly. And uh, they're up on the up on the the hills of it. And it made me think of Mulholland Drive because that's where that's kind of set. I think yeah, I was watching it with my flatmates, and we were just like, "Ugh, I want to live there." <laughs> you know, it's like. Yeah. Such a nice location, you know, looking down uh, over to over LA. Yeah, so he meets his son, and uh, his son seems a little wary at first. Um, yeah, of course. And at first, yeah, I tell you what, honestly, he kind of barely remembers him, does? Yeah, he, does yeah, he? which is which is like how it probably would be, you know, like he was a mm-hmm. baby when he left. Um, how old is he going to be in it? Uh, I think around about eight, because um, when Travis asks Walt, you know, is four years a long time? Yeah. Walt says it's half a boy's life. Right. Okay. That makes that makes more sense now. Yeah, and when I saw I didn't really know that it was gonna have a child actor in it. I know. It's mad, isn't it? Because it's not in any of the sort no. of iconic images that they use to promote no. the film. It's all Nastasia Kinski. Yeah. Maybe for good reason, because I was honestly a little bit I was like, Oh fucking here we go child actor <laughs> this is gonna yeah. suck now um i'll tell you what he was he was great yeah he's he was really good fucking great and um i was uh he made me feel a bit broody i was just like man <laughs> i'd like a little hunter to go on some road trips with and sure, to, yeah, a to dude, a, yeah a little dude like uh have a little walkie talkie with him you know go on some little uh adventures that'd be cool but he does um he acts well, you know, really naturalistic yeah, yeah. and it's really believable. He has a beautiful line um, when they're in the motel after they've kind of decided to go hunting for Jane, his mother, and he's left his kind of foster parents behind or his adoptive parents behind. And he just looks at Travis while he's laying in bed and he just says, you know, I'm so used to calling her mum. You know, like it's really bothering him that he's leaving his mum to go yeah. and find his mum. Yeah. You know, like he's really kind of torn by that. Yeah. And I thought that was it's a really arresting little moment. Yeah. Yeah, it is a it's a definite head fuck for a kid. But you know, he's mm-hmm. he's given the uh given the choice. Uh, and not not in a um you know, not in a pressured way, I don't think. I think that's what that's what yeah. the nice build up they're equals, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Father and son are, you know, a little boy and a kind of slightly deranged father, right? <laughs> yeah. On level pegging. So I think that, the, like we're saying about it being a sort of three-act um, story, is that the second act is them connecting, their very slow connection and, and trust, you know, trust of each other. You know, um, Travis trusting... Sorry, um, Hunter trusting his biological dad who's come along. And then also um, Travis not only trusting his son, but trusting himself around his son. Because maybe when he was like a baby or a toddler, he might have just been, you know, a, a horrid drunk. <laughs> yeah, much wilder, definitely. Yeah, and he doesn't remember any of it. He doesn't remember doing any actually fathering. You know, so um, I think that that is yeah, it's almost like a sort of a, it's a love story in a way, in the in the middle. Yeah, of, definitely. Yeah, and uh, I, I was really caught up in it, um, and you know, the sort of like the push and pull of them trying to, of him trying to get a connection with his son, a strange son. Um, yeah, yeah, it starts really awkwardly, doesn't it? Where he turns yeah. up at school and his son is just I'm not walking home with this guy and jumps in a car with his Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was hurt, dad. man. I was really yeah, hurt. Yeah, that's rough, isn't it? Yeah, I was just like, oh, poor fucker. Make an effort, you brat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved, I loved, we all, we all got, you know, there was only a few sort of laugh out loud moments, um, but one of them was his, was um, Hunter's 
little mate that he had after school. <laughs> Clearly, I don't know. I mean, he, he wasn't an actor or something. He's probably just like the son of somebody on the crew or something. They just said, look, he, I've got a kid about his age. But he really had the voice of um, somebody from the old Charlie Brown cartoons. Who is that guy? You know him? Yeah, he's my father's brother. No. They're both brothers. No, they're both... They're both fathers. No. I forget it. But both whose father? My father. How how they have two fathers? Just lucky, I guess. And it was such a, like, a innocent, pure little moment sort of captured yeah, on celluloid. Like, we all got a big kick out of that, and we all just kind of laughed and went, look at that little kid. It was really funny. Um... But yeah, but then they watched the uh, the Super 8 footage. Uh, I think we already mentioned that before, that that is actually sort of, you see his uh, kind of anguish and his regret and remorse just through a silent performance, you know. Um, yeah. Just not even doing too much. He's kind of looking at it, but occasionally looking down. It's not it's not overplayed. Yeah, he has his head in his hands at one yeah. point. After seeing what he'd lost, I think, you know, that's it, isn't it? It's, what did he do? to lose all of that because you know the super eight just makes it look like pure love doesn't it it's poetry and a new family and so much kind of optimism and positivity and you know how did how did they all end up like this three of them in completely different places all alone yeah and even through the editing of that super eight footage the reveal of um of jane is still like still kind of like cleverly drawn out it's not it doesn't just start with a shot of her face it's like you see yeah, yeah. you see them all in a car one of those big cars we can get four people sitting in the front seat yeah sure but you never really uh you're still kind of like teased with just like well, who's this mystery woman you know that who's the, yeah, who's yeah. the mother and like it's really nicely edited together so that's kind of um eked out and when you finally see her you're just like oh i see i see why he was so yeah, yeah, yeah. so sort of hung up on this girl um, and I was like, oh, fuck, I totally forgot how stunning Natasha, Natasha Kinski was. Yeah, she's revealed, and, uh, yeah, she's stunning, and uh, you really see the, well, uh, the wife isn't sure that he should be watching it, isn't it? Like, his brother says, hey, we've got that Super 8 footage, and, and she's like, shh, 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 shh. Yeah, think, think but I think the wife idea? is, I think the wife is enjoying her role as the surrogate mother, and is all the way through it. She's worried uh, about losing Hunter. Yeah, right. Um, but in the end, she does kind of enable um, Walt to track Jane by telling her about the bank deposits that she gives for Hunter every month. That's how they track her to Texas. That Super 8 footage was um, that was shot right at the end of the film. Um, so they'd wrapped pr principal photography. Um, so two things. One, they had to shoot the scene where they're watching the Super 8 without any Super 8 for them to watch. So they had to act and react to nothing. But also, Wim Wenders said that that was his favourite day of filming because it was just him and the actors and a Super 8 camera. Yeah, and they're they, having a jolly, you know, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, they had no crew <laughs> and they just like disappeared and had this like wonderful sort of last day of filming. And, and he said Harry Dean Stanton had to play someone that was kind of eight years younger than what we were used to him seeing him. And he was like, he turned up and for some reason he's like, there's no makeup. He didn't do anything different with his, you know, his sideburns or haircut. But he was like, for some reason he just felt like a younger man. He was yeah. lighter of foot and twinkle in his eye. All of that stuff. It did suppressed. come across, but um, there's definitely a sense of like, she's like this young crazy girl that he's just, he's totally lucked out and she's infatuated with him. And he's loving it, but at the same time, he's like, oh, shit, I'm, I'm not used to this. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Am yeah, I going to kiss you back? Or, you know, they, it feels like they're not on even um, f platforms as far as like, yeah, I, maybe it's what I brought to the table, but it felt like that's maybe the beginning of, of the, the problems is that yeah, sure, she, sure. Which, you know, she's this like young, fancy free yeah, Hunter's a top toddler in that footage, isn't he? So right. it's probably a year or so, and then it's done. Yeah, really doubt. I'll tell you what, like, Harry Dean Stanton looks fucking cool as shit in that footage. Like, he, <laughs> I think he just looks cool all the way through it. Yeah, he, he does, definitely. 
Are you a Harry Dean Stanton fan? Have you seen him in other stuff that you liked? Do you remember seeing him? First time I saw him was Alien. in Escape from New York. Where he played right. Brain in Escape no. from New York. That Alien or um, Kelly's Heroes. He was in that as well. I can't say that I've seen a load of his films. Alien. Um, and I just thought he was great in that because he, well, the whole the whole ensemble cast in that, they're all so naturalistic. Yeah, sure. He had this uh, f- sort of uh, French buddy friendship with, is it Yafit? Kato. Kato, yeah. Um, and I thought, like, they're so believable. I'm just like, oh, they're old. Yeah, fucking, a couple of space mechanics, buddies. aren't they? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. Really yeah, and I, I loved him in that. And then I don't think I saw him again until um, I saw Wild at Heart. Wild at Heart, yeah. Yeah, and he plays that kind of put upon slightly. Yeah, he's been made to be deranged by going out with a deranged woman, you know, and he's sort of like a little bit, sort of, he's a shell of a man in that. Yeah, right, right. Um, And then I've never, I'll be honest with you, I've never seen Repo Man. Still haven't. So there's kind of turning point for Travis and Hunter. After this, they they start to bond a little bit better, don't they? Uh, Hunter walks home from school with him. That's, that's the standout scene. I think that is like, you know, it really encapsulates the tone of the film. I swear um, Spike Jones did a music video once where there was a, man, uh, a boy and a girl on the other side of the road and they start mimicking each other. And it only became, it only sort of like made um, alarm bells go for my head when I watched this oh, okay. a couple of weeks ago. I was like, oh, that's that. That must be where he... That's where he robbed doing that a tribute. From... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And it looks like they walk all the way home like that as well. Yeah. Because we see them yeah. walk a street or so from the school and then they're almost back. And there's that really nice shot where they nearly got to the house and the hunter just stops and looks back at um, Travis and he's still on the other side of the road. And he doesn't do anything, but they just stand there for a second and uh, he crosses over to see him. He's like given permission saying, you can come over to my yeah, side now. And it's just really, it's really heartwarming. It's little, little moments like that, like, um, that, that spoke to my sort of sentimentality. It's nice. He's borrowed his brother's suit for that. Yeah. As well. so, so he looks nice. And he that gets hat. Some tips from the cleaner. Yeah. And yeah. he's just fiddling with the hat, isn't he, while he's yeah. running outside. And it yeah. look, he changes it like four or five times. Yeah. And each time he looks like a different person. I felt a bit sorry for the uh, surrogate parents because they must have got pretty attached yeah, of course. And I remember thinking, like, man, that well, she she has a scene where she's just like, I don't want to let him go, and, and yeah, I, I felt like oh, that's not really fair. And you know, I felt a little bit mad at Travis that he didn't see seem a little bit more empathetic to that. He just didn't seem to. He probably would have gone on his own, would he not? Yeah, I think you that know? that was his plan. Yeah. yeah, and you see a little bit of the fallout um, with uh, is it uh, Aurora? No, that's the actress's name, Anne. Anne, yeah. Um, yeah, she, she seems pretty cut up about it. Uh, I think maybe Walt is <laughs> maybe a little bit like, cool, well, like, <laughs> like, back to my old life, I can get with my job now, cool. What I liked about Walt's response was that he was very much protecting his brother still. He was like, look... We can't just pretend that our brother's kid is mine now that he's back. You know, like we should at least give him a chance to try and do whatever it is that he wants to do. And then, uh, you know, the subtext being that if it doesn't work out, they can be the safety net for little Hunter. Yeah. And then it kind of like it shifts gear into um, a kind of like road movie for the, yeah. <laughs> for the second third. And uh, I, I really enjoyed that. I loved that scene of them trying to track her down. Yeah, it's really nice. I love all that stuff. All the way on the road to the stuff of the drive through bank in Texas, which is just like a bonkers visual moment anyway. And then with them both falling asleep on their stakeout. Oh, yeah. Waking up and just catching her car as it pulls out and then chasing it along the freeway and there being two of the same car exactly at the There was a bit of tension there. I felt yeah, a bit yeah. of tension there. I was like, oh man, they're going to have got the wrong car and now they're going to end yeah, up following yeah. this one for ages and find out it's like somebody wearing a a blue Angora sweater. Yeah, yeah, it's just a really know. frustrating detour. Yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, they pretty much nail it, don't they? Right day, right time, right yeah. person. 
Uh, the bit where he falls asleep and he's just like, wake up, wake up. I think she's leaving. And you'd be like, yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. there's some, there's some, Come on, Travis. yeah, there's some, uh, you know, there's some film there. It's like, it's like, it was like watching a film. I mean, after they follow her to the peep show. Yeah, the peep scene. show. But then when it goes into the peep show, it's almost like it's a bit David Lynchy in a way, but in a very sort of sugar coated way, you know, like. But slightly themed, a little bit secret cinema. Yeah, it was. It looked cool. Yeah, I thought it looked cool. I yeah. mean, I, I didn't, I didn't know if I took it as you know something a little bit surreal. I just thought, no, no. I just think of all those kind of sad men going in there, you know, and what do they? What is it that they really want? Is a little bit of contact and communication, and to feel like they're human. So they probably, you know, half of them probably go in there to get off, but half of them probably just go in there to talk. Yeah, no, I didn't find it seedy or anything. I found, I think, well, it's just not something we do is it you know like <clears throat> i oh, sorry, <laughs> suspect cough there yeah. um <laughs> it's uh you know to go somewhere like that in the daytime is surreal for me you know like i i wouldn't think to go into a place not in texas like it's you know it's hottest part of the day not a cloud in the sky and you go into this weird like neon lit multi-chambered room with like a greaser pimp and you know scantily dressed girls walking around like how how could that not be surreal to your average bloke from Essex you know like that's not anything I'm used to so I found it surreal but it wasn't threatening I was worried that it was going to get weird and it was going to like yeah, um, yeah. it was like maybe there was going to be the some bloodshed there, isn't it yeah yeah I guess so the threat and yeah, from the pimp. Who did you say it was again? Uh, it's John Lurie, who's a, a tr- trumpet player um, and musician actor. Um, yeah, he plays the pimp, doesn't he? he? Just sort of shoes him out of the bar and sends him downstairs. Yeah, and there's that good bit of suspense where like he doesn't actually see Jane's face, does he? he just sees her from the back, but he's not one hundred percent sure that it's her. And uh, and that's what that's the reveal, isn't it? Does she turn around? She does, but after he's gone. Yeah, after and, she's gone. And that's uh, the poster shot, isn't it? The kind of iconic yeah. image of her looking over her shoulder in pink angora. They just, just nailed it. Just the hair, the sort of peroxide platinum yeah, blonde hair. Yeah, the... perfect kind of iconic screen presence. So good. It? You know, when you, they just nail it, like every mm. every single bit, but the, the makeup, the, the, the casting, the... Apparently the that wardrobe. jumper, they, yeah. they didn't have the correct wardrobe for her at all. Uh, really Vin Vendors wasn't happy and that was picked up the morning that they shot that sequence it was picked up at a yard sale no way uh, costume designer here that morning that's mental it goes down to the the peep show area and calls up for her and gets sent a nurse instead that's right that's right and she's really brassy and also like pissed off really brassy yeah yeah, Uh, he's wasting her time Mm. um and then, but it's quite good because it kind of establishes what the uh, business is all about. You know, you get yeah, to yeah. see that it's a peep show. You get to see that there's um, the one-way mirror th- is one-way mirror clearly, exactly, and um, yeah, you get to see what what it's all about. We get Jane entering the um, the booth to talk to whoever's on the other side of the one-way mirror. She doesn't know it's Travis. She comes in and then he leaves the phone off the hook and leaves, doesn't he? So he can't stay in there. Ah, yeah. I think one of the ironies of the film is that by the end of it, after her experience with him, she's become the thing he was most afraid yeah. that she was going to be. But there is something about about how women mature quicker than men and how some men, you know, are perpetual teenagers, you know, even into their forties and fifties, they still act like Honestly, don't know like what you babies. Mean. I don't know what yeah. you mean. <laughs> I'm not pointing any fingers. It's not an accusation. I'm talking about the films. So. Oh, okay, yeah, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> and I think that was probably the case with Travis, that he was probably one of those good old boys that was Yeah, you know, a good guy to party with and you yeah. know, always fun and mm. picked he probably was quite charming and lucky with the women. You know what? And it only really occurred to me um, over the last few days of thinking about it. I had an uncle and he was that character. I mean, he, yeah, he's okay. passed away now, but he was he was a little bit of a sort of local legend in the town that I grew up with. Like I still sort of bump into people even now and be like, oh, that, that was, 
you were, that was <laughs> Uncle Paul. That was your uncle, was it? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, oh, he was a legend. And they tell me stories about him. Sure. And he tried, um, I think he tried getting married once and that lasted all of like half a year. Um, and he had a few other sort of like, you know, wild relationships, you know, these, these sort of like, I'd, I'd call them auntie for one year and never see <laughs> yeah, them sure, again. Sure. Um, so he was it's, a little bit like that. So yeah, that does ring true. Different that, auntie each Christmas. Yeah, exactly. He does a runner and then he goes, picks up Hunter and they, um, they spend the night in some tiny little town where he starts drinking again. And I think, but there's also something, and I think this is kind of, maybe why we're uh, robbed of a happy ending i think there's something about when he sees her and the way it makes him feel it also kind of triggers those old habits as okay. well yeah, you know there's all that true. kind of mileage and baggage and the first thing he needs after he's seen her is a drink yeah which is not who he wants to be you no. know he's had this time with his son sober and you know being a kind of good man and just seeing this woman again triggers that thirst yeah and the thirst leads to you know the rage and so on and yeah. so forth that's what we we find out later on so yeah i think that this this sequence tells us why we're not going to get the the happy ending and it, it's it's nicely done there's it's a really nice sort of like shot you know the camera's at the back of the bar it's in a dive bar um mm. and it's you know pointed towards the window so he's in silhouette and uh he's having his drink and and Hunter's there by his side. And what does Hunter say? And he, just, he says something like, I hate when you do that. It stinks. You know, yeah. talking about the booze. And I think he he still takes the drink anyway. But like you say, you know, he's... And he stays for another one as well. Yeah. He? So you can see how that, once he's back in that groove. Yeah. How that defines him. I get the feeling he's a really shitty drunk. You know, yeah, yeah. he's he's not a happy, huggy... We get a little flash of that, don't we, when he's all melancholy with Hunter, when they, they sort of crash on some sofas and chairs, oh, yeah. don't they? And some abandon, and it, they kind of take on the therapy positions where yeah. Travis lays down with his head on the pillow and Hunter's sat on the armchair listening to him. Yeah, he and, says yeah. some uh, quite bizarre stuff, doesn't he? I can't remember. Well, he's what talking that... about that thing with um, his father saying that his mother was from Paris. Right. But then how the joke, he just used to go on and on and on to the point when it wasn't funny and it embarrassed her and he was just like, that sounds like the dad was a mean drunk as well. When so. you say drunk, like your uh, anecdote doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He literally <laughs> falls asleep, doesn't halfway he? Through falls it, asleep yeah. halfway through yeah. telling this story. <laughs> yeah, this exactly. Little boy's just looking at him like, wow. But that's the first time we've seen him drunk and he, he's got the face of a drunkard. Disney, you know, I yeah, think like it's pickled, good. Yeah. <laughs> the next scene is him recording his goodbye for Hunter and then leaving Hunter in the hotel room when he goes to see Jane at her place of work. Ah, uh, the, 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 the early 80s. <laughs> we could just abandon a kid in a hotel room. <laughs> Stay here. I'll be yeah. back in two days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a, it is the finale, isn't it? And I was quite shocked when I watched it. Because it goes on for a while. I mean, I don't know what the running time is of this oh, thing. that sequence, yeah. I'm not sure either. But, yeah, you you have to kind of just settle in, don't you? It's like yeah. a little piece of self-contained theatre, isn't it? Yeah. Just a, t- a two-header, you know, yeah. one-act play. Yeah, I heard somebody say today, you know, that there was like a three-way discussion about it on a podcast. And somebody was saying just like, man, I always got up to that point and then I turned it off, you know, and I just struggle with that. So, and somebody else said, like, what you need to do, you need to turn your phone off, light a candle. That is, I'm quoting, he said, like, <laughs> um, and just settle in for what is some of, like, the most heart-wrenchingly authentic explanation of a relationship breakdown coming from a guy. Well, both two-way. Two, it's a two-way street, isn't it? But at first, it's a, it's a real sort of, like, you know, opening up of the mystery of what's happened exactly. And it's done, he kind of does it in the third person, doesn't he? Yeah, he's telling it like a story at first. Yeah. You know, once upon a time, there was this man. Yeah. He was older than the woman he loved. And he kind of, <laughs> he, yeah, but then as as he kind of gets comfortable with the words or, you know, comfortable with the truth, I think it, it, it definitely becomes much more heartfelt. And, you know, it's a painful confession for him, even, you know, once removed and that especially i think when she knows that it's him you know then you kind of 
she goes through the gamut of emotions acting wise though doesn't she i think she's yeah they stay on really good for for one section where it's just cuts to her reaction and then just stays there for like three or four minutes as she's listening and responding to you know this man who's kind of well aware of all of his mistakes and every step from the good time to the end yeah and his responsibility for that is really powerful He'd stay out late to test her. What do you mean, test her? To see if she'd get jealous. He wanted her to get jealous, but she didn't. She's just worried about him, but that got him even madder. Why? Because he thought if she never got jealous of him that she didn't really care about him. Jealousy. I'm quite mad at her. Like, why is she? Why is she working in this pretty grotty job when she knows she's got a son out there? And all right, yeah, she's like going in and paying what she can and stuff. But you know, well, she's contributing to Hunter's upbringing. I know, but you know, she's like, the one that stays in touch. The father's fucked off completely. Oh right, like, yeah, he's yeah, got yeah. nothing. Yeah, you know, she's doing a much better job at being a parent distant than he's he has been. Were you angry at him when you found out he had a son? Yeah, and it's so, it's really honest, you know. She loves him, doesn't she? That's the thing, and he's abused her, and she has kind of, I don't know if she's forgiven him, but. No, no, you see her go from being sort of like mad, you see her sort of go, realisation who it is, feel quite sad that like, oh my God, this is the first time I've heard his voice in ages, then kind of like show a little bit of just like, I fucking hate this guy, and then a little bit of like, Oh, but he's. This is the most open I've ever heard him talk. Yeah, you know, yeah, and just so. within sort of three minutes, you see her like really go through the crypt yeah, and factor of um, emotions, like you would do. You know, some great. I don't know. I don't know how many times they rehearsed it, uh, but it's some some great acting. Um, is it Sam Shepard who wrote that entirely? Yeah, so he wrote that entire sequence. That was the sequence that was dictated over the phone. Oh, great! That's, like that's a few great. days before they shot it. It is good. Yeah, and I think. You know, you you understand by the end why she has ended up where she is doing what she's doing. You know, it's it's pretty grotty, but it's a way for her to cope. You know, just looking into that mirror every day and hearing these voices. And she says at one point, you know, every man that comes in has your voice. They all sound like oh, you. Did she say that? That's nice. Mm. Well, That's I think it's more like it's a curse. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. I was watching that going... I've been to Amsterdam and the peep shows that, you know, they're, they're not as innocent as this makes it out to look like. It's not usually just about lonely people wanting to talk about their day. I mean, it's usually about some girl dancing about in less and less clothes. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm probably going to have to take the fifth on this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, as a sailor, I know that you know nothing about, any of this not me the other guys what i heard from the other guys right yeah exactly i wasn't a massive fan of the last act of this film and i think there was a few things like that that just pulled me out of believing in the situation and one of them was just like what is this place there's there's no places like this i quite liked the reverse shots where we saw her looking at the mirror and you saw that they hadn't even bothered to finish the uh the surrounding wall you could just see the um, i liked that i didn't know if that was a mistake or not but i guess it wasn't i think yeah it's just you know they've just done the bare minimum haven't they to make it credible do you know what actually it reminded me of and this is not something i've experienced but when you and i were flatmates i remember you watched a lot of uh babe station and it's quite (laughs) it's quite a lot like yeah it's quite a lot like that yeah something was definitely unfinished when i used to watch that you know i felt 
like it was long when I watched it. But I think now that I've seen it and I know what's coming up next time, I would kind of be anticipating it more and knowing how much information emotionally and historically for the characters is all wrapped up in that scene. I'd probably be looking forward to it. But I think your first kind of viewing, when you know you're close to the end of a two and a half hour movie, yeah. you sort of want a little bit more kind of razzle dazzle you want something that's, that's kind of that, that something worse had happened i mean like what what is it that had happened he was going out there he started drinking he got, too much he started becoming jealous, jealous of her handcuffed um, her to the radiator so yeah. she couldn't get to the baby you know what they really needed out. was a flashback so the the peep show ends with travis telling jane that Hunter is in a hotel room in the city and that she should go and pick him up and they, they'll be reunited. And then we get the sort of as close to a happy ending as we're going to have, which is a beautiful kind of mother and son hug, pure joy. I, I got, I actually got choked up and um, the, the moments in watching films increasingly as I get older that I get sort of choked up by something is getting fewer and far between. But the lovely moment where like they see each other and she goes over to him, she gives him a hug, but then she kind of like he leaps up and he wraps his legs round her like a baby. Yeah, yeah, it's pure, isn't it? I was just like, Oh oh my god I felt my eyes getting wet and I felt this like feel like I've swallowed a roast potato and I was just like Ugh. and it really, really it really worked. Really yes, yeah, it's, it's great, isn't it? And I love those shots of Travis outside as well. You know, you get that. And again, another beautiful Texan sunset. You know, him lit in neon green, sees them reunited and just drives off into the into the American West again, where, where we first found him. Well, it's, um, it's like that famous shot in John Wayne's The Searchers, right? Where he does, he does his job, drops off the, uh, the little Indian girl. Yeah, right, and right. And then walks off into the sunset. You know, there's no no happy ending for him. It's a, it's a classic Western hero's ending. Yeah, <laughs> I played it over in my head a few times that it ends the way that it did and he gets back in the car. And because because I'm a child of the 80s, <laughs> they both come running out together and go, no, 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 don't go. We're a family. And then, and then he, you know, he screeches the brakes to a stop and he gets out the car and they all hug credits thank you good night everybody can go to bed happy no no You're thwarted no thwarted. i mean he needs to make a a bigger sacrifice in penance for what, what he but did he got on to... so well with hunter why not yeah yeah definitely why but why hunt... would you sacrifice that so what so so he gives he... up hunter his brother and his um sister-in-law they give up hunter and he just puts her in the harm in the arms of a lady of the night is that the best? Is that the best decision for a child? I don't know. I mean, I predict that Jane and Hunter probably drive back to LA and spend some time with. Uh, okay, Walt yeah, and you Anne. tell me. You tell me how it's going to end. Yeah, that's. You know, I think. Give me, it, you know, give me the happy ending that I missed. <laughs> well, I think you know if you're on Travis's side, he is probably going to be more like. Um, more like the Incredible Hulk, where he just goes from town to town helping other people in. In need you and got it in often, there, didn't you? You got that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the ending was, was it, would you say it's downbeat? I don't know. Um, I don't know. I found it, you know, there was definitely a euphoria in the mother and Man, it was son lovely. being reunited. Did you notice they were both dressed in like emerald green? I liked him driving off. And I feel like, I was like, uh, you want him? You want there to be a happy ending? Sure. But he's proven that there can't be because he will fall back into old patterns. He's again. too destructive, I think. And I think what he's given them is some security. Damage and, is done. The damage yeah. is done. And he's given them a chance to reconnect because ultimately their relationship wasn't broken. It was just collateral damage from his own destructive behavior. Yeah. So he gave them a chance to be reunited and happy ultimately. Yeah, you feel like the only reason the relationship went sour is because of his insecurities. Like she, it's not her fault that she was young and pretty. But he couldn't yeah. hand he couldn't handle it, and he yeah, fucked exactly. he fucked it up. All right, so look, this was on your watch list for a couple of years. It's one of those films. I think probably most people <laughs> have got it on their watch list. I don't yeah. know how many people will actually get around to seeing it. But is it a film that you would say other people should kind of invest the time in? Well, 
I actually, I'm a big fan of Roger Ebert, um, and I still like rate his um, reviews. Oh yeah, okay. And he actually he he had a four star rating system, which I'm sure a lot of the listeners are aware of. Sure. And he did half stars and all the rest, uh, but four stars he gave, you know, maximum four stars, and he gave it four out of four. He said, "Paris, Texas, is a movie with the kind of passion and willingness to experiment that was more common 15 years ago than it is now. It was more links with films like Five Easy Pieces and Easy Rider and Midnight Cowboy." than it does with slick arcade games that are the box office winners of 1980s. It is a true, deep, and brilliant film. I was satisfied when I got to the end of it. And everybody I watched it with, you know, I watched it with, like, a few different age brackets of people. And everybody said, nobody nobody said they didn't like it. Everybody said, yeah, that was, that was, that was good. Do you think you'd ever watch it again? Only if I was showing it to somebody who said they'd never seen it before and they wanted to watch it and I'd watch it with them. You think you discovered it too late in life? I feel like Tom. I did a little bit, yeah. yeah. I feel like I did. Do you think it secretly looks boring and that's why people hadn't seen it? I mean... Yeah, no, but you know, a couple of other people that I've spoken to about it have also got it on their watch list. I don't know many people that have seen it. I know lots of people that want to see it or have it on their watch list. But I don't think I ever heard anybody recommend it to me ever again other than other than the um score being by Rocky roger deakins apart from roger deakins cheers roger cheers rog i'm glad i saw it i think it stayed with me and i just like seeing harry dean stanton i wouldn't mind him singing a song somewhere in there just to sort of finish it off that'd have been nice every time i go to town the boys started kicking my dog around Makes no difference if he is a hound. You better stop kicking my dog around. Go on, Blue. Good dog, Hello, hello. It's recording. Yeah, go for it. Let me open this beer first. Oh, shit. Wait. Sorry, Dave. Uh, let me get on my notes. I totally forgot to do that bit. <laughs> Thought I was like, oh, uh, Paris Hilton is going to be like that. She's going to be some like femme fatale. Mm. All those years of imagining. I wonder what that film's like. Oh, I bet it's got some like dream sequences. I mean, so I'm going to do a little there. I said it was a big inspiration on um, uh, American. What the fuck's that called? Wim Wendis. Wim Wendis. No, come on more with the slide. Make it go more up and down. Do it. No, I'm going to let you let you say it. Yeah, shouts out to Robbie. Is it Moolah? Yeah, Robbie Moolah, yeah. Like the yoghurt. And Roberto Benini. Mm. Oh, yeah, with the nose. Have a look at that there, dude. I'm going to grab another beer. Um, yeah, I can't remember that at all. So. <laughs> no, I can't. I can't. Vin Vendez. I'm usually given a weekend to, uh, to figure out what the fuck I've done in my relationship. I'm just like, is everything all right? Yeah, it's fine. Fantasiful. Totally forgot how stunning Natasha, Natasha Kinski was. You don't see it from like a back, back, back angle. Back, 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 back angle. I'm just going to go for a slash, dude. And um, it's little, little moments like that that really get you sort of like, that got me sort of invested in a sort of like, uh, <laughs> I was going to say gay way. Nausea Kinky. Natasia. Nastasia. Is it Nastasia? Nastasia Kinksky. Sorry, mate. Is it Kinksky? Maybe I shouldn't have had this whiskey. What was I saying? Yeah. Pardon me. So. To Hunter. Yeah, they put dildos in there instead. That's the sound of me pouring another whiskey. I just get, like, even more annoyingly cute when i'm drunk so so i when i drink when i drink my whiskeys <laughs> it's so fucking cute here's a film for you it's it's called the misery of me well written and sequence is that by sham the shams <laughs> <laughs> natalie kinky and sham Seppard. christian christian approved wank hut then you see her in uh some um ann summers get up and uh, oiled. <laughs> I can take the boy out of Leon C. <laughs> yeah. Hello? She sounds drunk. 
on a subconscious level that I wasn't even really aware of at the time. The reason I got choked up, chonked up. <laughs> Stop making so much fucking noise in there. I'm trying to do a podcast. Hello, Jane. <laughs> you shut the door, please. I will. I drank all my beers. Be able to rely on reviews of Roger Ebert, you know, the ones that he actually gave when he was alive. Um, and I, blah, blah, blah. Just cut this with the other bit, I said. Yeah, yeah cut the it. waffle. Yeah, cut the waffle. <laughs> the um, reviews that he gave while he was alive, they're, they're his best reviews. <laughs> The ones that the ones he gave from six feet under <laughs> covered died, in soil. Not so good. Yeah, just he couldn't get the pen moving. It has more links with firm. Oh, it has more links with films like Fizz. <laughs> didn't know you were going to do some reading, Sam. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't know either. Woo! I need my glasses. I've I've been making a um, INDB list of films that I've watched throughout the films. Uh, throughout the years yeah i think that's the thing like i said i saw in that bargain bucket movies the oscar-winning okay. cinematography c- cinematographer wants you to see that's it we're done. can you leave in some of the comedy i think this would be funny yeah 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 leave definitely. In some of the comedy